0: Good morning. Everyone, all right this morning? Happy Mother's Day. We are in the book of Ezekiel still. And the plan, Lord willing, today is to cover chapters 20 through 24. There are two handouts, two papers. Uh, The first one's front and back, the second one's just on the front there. I couldn't get it all on two pages type too much. Um, so, But it's something that you can take and read later or read during the class here. Um, so getting into the text. So if we kind of back up and look at this, chapters, uh, chapter 20, uh, we're, we're in the seventh year now. So from chapters 8 all the way up through chapter 19, we were, it started out in chapter 8 as the sixth year, the sixth month of the captivity. Uh, that he was there, and then all the way through up to chapter 20, it starts in the 7th year and the 10th month. So that is right at a year, right? Okay. On the spot, I can't do math right on the spot. Okay. So it's right at a year, 6 to 7. So, And if you kind of look at what's going on, if you you flip over here just real quickly to, to chapter 24, if you look at the first paragraph there... It's the ninth year and it's the tenth month, 10th day. So from chapters 20 through the beginning of chapter 24, we've got roughly two and a half years, two years, I think, five months. And in chapter 24, this is when the siege of Jerusalem will begin. And so in chapter 20 through 23 we're kind of we're, we're in the fourth quarter towards, you know, the end of the game. There's about, what, 30 seconds or a minute left in the game. And so what is the message that God is going to give His people prior to this siege starting? So, uh, and, and it's it's not, I guess you could say, it's the same message that, it, that has been given before because the people are continuing in adultery. They're continuing to look to other nations. Uh, as as uh, chapter 23 will tell us that this is, spiritual adultery that they're committing uh, against God with these other nations, and serving their, their idols and also making alliances with them. So does everybody have a sheet of paper? Nope? Okay. Alright. So, one down here. It's, it's coming that away, so... Okay. I think Daryl's got one of each, so I think you'll be able to... All right, so it's coming there quickly. There you go. All right, so let's go ahead and start starting in chapter 20. Um, So as we said, it's the seventh year. It's the fifth month. This is uh, just, and the the elders of Israel, so the elders of Israel come to Ezekiel's house to uh, inquire of the Lord, and God refuses to be inquired of by them. Uh, and he tells Ezekiel to make known the abominations of their fathers. So this this is kind of the, the introduction there, verses one through four. And then in verses five through, let's see, verses five through thirty-two, he he makes known to them the abominations of their fathers. So you go through, and if you look at the sheet here, there are three different examples there. So he makes known to them uh, the abominations that. Uh, Their fathers had committed while in Egypt in verses 5 through 9 and 10 through 26 in the wilderness and also whenever uh, they got to the promised land in 27 through 32. So God had brought, if you look at the, the, the history, God had brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness, gave them statutes, judgments, laws, commands to obey, and they ended up rebelling against God in each one of these situations whether they were in Egypt, in the wilderness, and also in the promised land. But it says that God acted for His namesake. Uh, because of their sin, what they deserved was death. You know, God could have just destroyed the nation, made a complete end to them. But He acted for His name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles. And it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when they were in the wilderness and they There in Exodus chapter 32, they set up the the golden calf and they were worshiping the golden calf. And because of this, God told Moses that he was going to just completely destroy them. And then Moses said, well, then the Egyptians will hear about it. And they'll hear how you were not able to bring them out, but you destroyed them in the wilderness. And then, um, let's see, I think there was another point. Let me just turn over to that real quick. There was another... Okay. He, he would do that for his namesake. So um, so that his name should not be profaned among the Gentiles, and also because of the promise that he made. That's that's the other point I forgot. So Moses had brought to mention the father, the promise that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would bring them into the land. So... God will keep his promise and bring them into the land. So it, it's kind of an interesting situation, I think, that, that God has there. It's kind of like his, he has made these promises to bring the children into the land, but they're continuing to sin against them or sin against him. Uh, so he, he will, and, and God cannot uh, dwell or, or be around sin. So it's kind of interesting how, or I think, yeah, very interesting how God will deal with that situation as far as bringing them, um, keeping His promise, bringing them into the land, uh, continuing to have them uh, as a remnant. He would not completely destroy them, but He would, you know, fulfill His promises there. And in chapter, or in verse 33, or actually back up before that, so... uh, God says that he would not be inquired of by the elders of Israel. If you look over in verses 31, 32, you can kind of see the reasons there. uh, Or actually up in verse 30. Uh, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, are you defiling yourselves in the same manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? So they were made to know the abominations of their fathers because it wasn't because they were being punished because of what their fathers had done. But because they were continuing to to walk in the sins of their fathers, so they they were doing likewise. Um, what is the the saying? Like father, like son; like mother, like daughter. You know. So they had seen those things, and they were still doing those things. Um, verse thirty-one: offering gifts to make your sons pass through the fire. That's the idolatry. Uh, and then also, God says there in verse. Thirty, there at the end of verse thirty-one, he said, "I will not be inquired of you, uh, by you. What have you? What do you have in your mind? Shall never be when you say we will be like the Gentiles, like the families in the other countries, serving wood and stone. So they still had in their hearts; they still were focused on serving the other idols, serving wood and stone, and their not their mind was was not uh, looking to be obedient uh, to God's commandments." There in verse thirty-three. So even though there's this, uh, the abominations are are mentioned. You know, in looking at what happened in Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land, we see this this imagery of the Egypt exodus. So God will send them into Babylonian captivity, which they are here now, and then when the time would come, it said God would bring them from the captivity. In verse 35, he said, I will bring you out into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face, just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. So it's kind of that imagery. So after they're in captivity in Babylonian captivity, similar to the way that they were in Egypt, God would bring them out into a so-called wilderness, enter into judgment with them there, And then he would bring uh, that remnant into the land of Israel. There on the sheet, uh, and, and also God would purge the rebels. He would bring them back to the land of Israel. And there he would accept their worship. And when they're back there, when the captivities go back to Jerusalem or go back to the land of Judah... It says here that they would loathe themselves because of the abominations that they had committed. So they would look back in remembrance of what had happened while they were there uh, and the adulterous things that they had done, and they would, I guess, just loathe themselves. Loathe, does that, that maybe hate or just hate the things that they had done, you know, that they had, they had let themselves do these things where they practiced in those things. And then we see that in uh, Ezra chapter 9. And it's interesting, back in in chapter 6 or chapter 8, I think now it's chapter 6 of Ezekiel, it says that the children of Israel would loathe themselves whenever they came into the land. Um, So... Chapter 6, they would loathe themselves in the land after all these things had happened. After Jerusalem would be destroyed, they would loathe themselves. And then also whenever they came back, they would loathe themselves because of those things. The end of chapter 20 uh, ends with uh, another prophecy. So Ezekiel is told to prophesy and say in verse 28, he said, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Wait a minute, I'm in chapter 21. Okay. Yeah, chapter chapter 20, verse 45. It says, Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the south, or the the Negev, uh, preach against it, and prophesy against it. And God's saying that he would create a fire there in, in the south land. This is a location, a geographical area, which is kind of south of the Judean hills. Uh, God said that he would... Uh, kindle an unquenchable fire in it and devour every tree and that everyone would know uh, that the Lord had kindled it. So not only, uh, you know, another form of judgment, but it was also, you know, that that forest area would burn and it would be unquenchable. All right. Thoughts, questions? Chapter 21. Um, talks about the sword of God. So Ezekiel is told to set his face against Jerusalem and speak against the sanctuaries, the holy place, the temple, and he is to prophesy against the land of Israel. Uh, and, and the imagery here is God is going to unsheath his sword, uh, draw his sword out of his sheath against all flesh from the south to the north. Uh, in the first five verses there, it also says that he will cut off both righteous and wicked from the land. Uh, when the Babylonians will come in, um, you know, sometimes innocent people die in in battles. Um, you hear of wars and things of that nature, uh, civilians dying um, in, in other lands where there's that war. Uh, so sometimes, I guess, those things will happen. So, but God is saying that, you know, his his sword will be unsheathed, destroy the land, uh, and. There in verse 6, Ezekiel is told to sigh, and he's told to sigh in their sight, uh, which will hearken the question, why are you sighing? So this, this is something that God has them to do so that they will ask that question, and when he... Uh, and he's, he's told to sigh with a breaking heart and bitterness uh, before their eyes of the news that is coming. Uh, And he says that it will come, it is coming, and it will be brought to pass. Uh, I guess you could say, once they heard the news, every knee would melt. Or it says, every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will be faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Um, And God is saying that it will come to pass. Um, This this sword that he is bringing about... Um, in verses 8 through 17, Ezekiel is prophesying again. Okay. Verse 8. It says again, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy and say. So this, this next section here, Ezekiel is told to prophesy. He's going to uh, talk about the sword. He's going to talk about, give a description of the sword of God. Uh, the sword of God is actually the king of Babylon who is Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, who he's going to bring about against the city uh, to build the siege to destroy the land, uh, and this is how God is executing the judgment upon them. But if you look at the description, it's it's described as being sharp and polished and flashing like lightning, flashes like lightning, um, and it's against all the people and against all the princes of Israel. So what what's that imagery bring to mind when it says that it's sharp, it's polished? Flashes like lightning. Word of God. Okay, Word of God. All right, anything else? No? When you sharpen that knife, when you polish it, make it—I um, guess you could say—easy to use. It's going to be very. Um, it'll produce a, a great slaughter. The the judgment that is going to be brought about, it's going to be uh, complete. Anything else? No? All right. Beginning in verse 18, uh, Ezekiel was told to make a road sign. So he's going to make a road sign, and he's going to put it at the, uh, the, head, of the, the head of the road to the city, and it's, it's going to kind of be like a fork in the road, I guess you could say. So he's going to make a, a road sign that re- leads to Rapa, of the Ammonites, and then he's going to make a road sign that leads to Jerusalem. And so Nebuchadnezzar is pictured here as using uh, divination uh, to determine which way he's going to go. And it says that it's brought to remembrance uh, Jerusalem's sin that they that they might be taken. Um, back in chapter 17, we read about uh, how... Nebuchadnezzar had come to Jerusalem and set up uh, I guess you could say set up Zedekiah as the king uh, and then he entered into a covenant with them and then Zedekiah ended up breaking that covenant by sending ambassadors to Egypt to send them horses and to help them uh, in battle against the, the Babylonians which Egypt would not do. They would not support them. They would not help them. And this is something that Nebuchadnezzar brings to mind whenever he's making this decision, saying oh, they, they broke the covenant, they've rebelled even against Nebuchadnezzar, which in turn meant that they were rebelling against God as well. All right? So he makes this road sign up. He chooses to go toward Jerusalem. Their sin is remembered. And then the that's uh, verses 18 through 27, and then 28 through 32... This is a prophecy against uh, the Ammonites. So it does say that God would, after the destruction of Jerusalem, it says that He would sheathe His sword, meaning that the judgment or the destruction of the Ammonites would not come at that time. Uh, but He will, I guess you could say, unsheathe it again. Uh, we find in chapter uh, 25, verses 1 through 7, that Nebuchadnezzar would return uh, to Ammon, and he would destroy the chief city. Of Rabba, you know the the the, the Ammonites would not be completely destroyed at that time, but over the course of time they would eventually all die out. And if you see there in verse 32, it says, "You shall not be remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken." So even though they weren't completely destroyed by the Babylonians, there not all of the Ammonites were killed. They will eventually all die out, and then they would not be remembered. Uh, Special as a nation, any longer. All right, thoughts? Questions? Moving on, chapter 22. There in the first part of chapter 22 says, Moreover, the Lord came to me, saying, Now, Son of Man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Referring to Jerusalem. So Ezekiel is told to judge the bloody city and cause her to know her abominations. So in verses 3 through 13 uh, he goes through and just starts listing all of the things that they had committed as far as uh, shedding blood and the, the sexual immorality, uh, taking bribes, uh, all of these different things, extortion and all of the different things that they were guilty of. And because of this, she would uh, be made a reproach to the other nations. Uh, they would mock her and then God would disperse her throughout the nations which is what he uses um, Nebuchadnezzar or the Babylonian captivity for. So they would disperse them. They would go into captivity. In verses 17 through 22, Israel is compared to that of a, a furnace. Um, they had become dross in the midst of a furnace. Uh, does anyone know what dross is? Is anybody familiar with... Uh, Melting steel or aluminum or metals or things of that nature. Casting those, pouring them. Right. It's the impurities that that rise to the top and the impurities the dross is good for nothing. Right. And God has compared Jerusalem to Judah to this. They are good for nothing. Right. They have all become dross. There's not anything good um, within them. And so God says that He would gather them, just like the dross in the midst of the furnace would be taken, that it would be thrown away with or tossed. He says God would gather them in the midst of Jerusalem and melt them, and that they would know that God had poured out His fury upon them. All right? And verses 23 through 31... Starting in verse 23, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. So, another comparison that Israel is made to. Uh, they're not cleansed or rained upon on the day of indignation. And I guess if you look at this, it goes through a description of four different groups um, throughout the end of the chapter. And I've got those listed there. They they all begin with the letter P. So you've heard of the uh, well, the four Ps in marketing. You know what that was? It place, price, promotion, and something else. I forgot what it was, but I thought it kind of may be an easy thing to remember. So there's four Ps here. So looking at it at the different uh, groups there, looking at all of the people. Uh, in verses 24 and then 29 through 31, some of the descriptions that it has of all the people, it says that they used oppression. They committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy. Um, and it also there towards the end in 29 through 31, um, it, it shows this imagery of God looking for a person. So he said, I, I sought for a man among them uh, who would build a wall and stand in the gap so that I would not destroy the city. He says that he could not find one. So them being dross, all of them are, are committing these, these evil acts that, that would not prevent God from destroying the city. The prophets, verses 25 through 28, the prophets were compared to like, like roaring lions. They plastered them uh, with untempered mortar, uh, divining lies. Uh, do you remember when we talked before about, uh, I think, chapter 13, the false prophets? How they were making this untempered mortar, plastering the wall here, making it look good, you know, with with the lies that that they were telling, saying that they had received a prophecy from God, the word of the Lord, but it wasn't from God, and they were hoping that uh, that He would fulfill what they were saying. So it's 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 all of these lies that that, that they are telling, these divining lies that would cause the people. Um, I guess you could say not to not to repent, not to uh, follow God's commandments or believe in something that was false. The priest, verse 26, it was the priest that violated God's law and profaned the holy things, um, which is kind of doing the opposite of what they were supposed to be doing. Uh, they were supposed to be teaching others the law. They were supposed to be uh, keeping the things that are holy, holy and and the things that are not holy or unclean, identifying and making sure that uh, the people knew that. Uh, the princess, uh, referring to the kings, uh, they're compared to like like wolves tearing the prey for dishonest gain, not having any care other than uh, what what they could gain for themselves. Right, yep exactly not distinguishing between the good and bad right yep any other thoughts comments so we, we see all of the sins that are that are made known to mentioned as a bloody city she has become dross not not useful for anything and then there towards the end of the chapter or the last part of the chapter 23 through 31 uh there a land that hasn't been cleansed or rained upon, and we see all of the evil things that, from top to bottom, right from the princes, the priests, all the leadership, the officials, all the way down to all the people, they had come to that point where uh, destruction of the city was was upon them. I guess you could say. Any other false questions about in chapter twenty-two, chapter twenty-three? Uh, chapter 23, it's, I guess you could say, so I don't know if this is a continuation of, but it makes me think of chapter uh, 16, where it talks about the unfaithful, um, wife. Here, we're, it's about, um, two harlot sisters, uh, named Ahola and Aholibah. Uh, in chapter 16, the focus was more upon Israel's desire to, from a religious decay, religious standpoint, seek after the idols and worship those, those idols of other nations. Here in chapter 23, it's more about the alliances uh, that they were making with these foreign nations, with Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. So here in chapter 23, it says in the notes, Ezekiel portrays two kingdoms as two sisters who committed harlotry. They ignored God, and sought alliances with foreign nations, even adopting their idolatrous practices. And this began as, as early as the time that they were in Egypt. Samaria, which is the northern city of Israel, the ten northern tribes, is referred to as Ahola. And then Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, the southern tri- two tribes, uh, is Aholabah. So this, this summary is made there in, ch- in verses 1 through 4. 5 through 10 talks about Ahola. So the older sister being Ahola, Samaria, uh, says that she had lusted after the Assyrians and defiled themselves with their idols, uh, going to, paying tribute to them, seeking alliances with them. Uh, but... It ended up God delivered them into their hands. So He delivered them into the hands of the Assyrians who would slay her with the sword as it's mentioned. Um, and we know what happened with the northern tribe. They would eventually be destroyed, taken away captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And they would never return or become a nation again. So they were taken away captive. And there in verse 10, I believe it is, it says that she became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment upon her. So, this, the uh, Samaria is just now a byword. So, she was completely destroyed. Looking at the next verses, beginning in verse 11 all the way through verses 35, we see Aholabah, the younger sister, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, she saw all the things that had happened to her older sister, uh, Samaria. She saw what had happened in the alliances that she had made, taking, you know, their idols to worship them. They, they saw what happened, how she was destroyed, yet she didn't learn from those things. But rather, instead of learning, she actually became more corrupt than her older sister. So, she not only it says that she became more corrupt in her lust for the Assyrians. And also she increased her harlotry, it says, to include the Babylonians. And then the same thing would happen. God would deliver her into the hands of the nations that she had made these alliances with. Uh, we know that Judah will be destroyed. So the siege is coming there in chapter 24. Uh, in chapter 33, we see a messenger come with the news that Jerusalem has been destroyed, um, and we know that the people will be taken away captive to Babylon beginning in 606 B.C. So this, the 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 siege that's coming, that will actually be the third siege of Jerusalem, or the third taking away. The first one coming in 606 B.C., the next one in 598, and then the last one in 586 B.C. So the Babylonians will come in and completely Take everyone away who is not killed. Uh, take them away captive, and that he will destroy the city. It will come in, burn, tear down the wall, burn the temple, burn everything. Uh, and she will remain there until 536 BC, uh, whenever the Medes and the Persians will send uh, send them back to to Israel. And then verses 36 through 49. Here we see. Both sisters judged. So, both of them are judged for their abominations, and uh, they're both are judged, and their abominations are declared to them. Uh, it says, An assembly shall be brought together, uh, be brought to them trouble and plunder. Let's see. Go look at verse 36 real quick. Okay. So an assembly shall be brought together, and they will trouble and plunder them. They will be repaid for their lewdness and pay for their adulterous sins. There it is in verse forty. So in verse forty-six, there was something specific I wanted to look at here. It says, it "says for thus says the Lord God, bring up an assembly against them, give them up to trouble and plunder." The assembly shall stone them with stones and execute them with their swords. They shall slay their sons and their daughters, burn their houses with fire. So it, it's, you know, it's still that within the law, you know, I guess um, when someone was sentenced to death, they, uh, one of the ways that they would carry out that is, is to stone them to death with stones. So we see that imagery there. Uh, and, and in verse 49 it says, They shall repay you for your lewdness, all of these things that are coming upon them is not uh it, it's because of the sins that they've committed, because of the lewdness that they've displayed. Um uh, says you shall pay for your adulterous sins, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So all of the things that are coming upon them is because of the sins that they had committed. All right, thoughts, questions? Yep. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they, they should have known seeing that example. Yep. Just failed uh, to do that. Okay. All right. So in comes the uh, ninth year. This is, and, and I guess, you know, there's there's a lot of things looking at the dates that happened at the same time. So uh, whenever Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem during the second siege in 598 B.C., this is when Jehoiakim was removed as king. This is when Jehoiachin um, was, I guess you could tell you, set up as king by the people of Jerusalem. He would only reign for three months. And then very shortly, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar would come in and remove Jehoiakim, take him away captive to Babylon, and then set up Zedekiah as, as king. So all of those things kind of happened at the same time. So when you see these dates here in the ninth year, that's the ninth year of the captivity of King Jehoiachin. Uh, it's also the ninth year of the reign of King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah will reign for 11 years. Uh, so all of those dates are kind of similar. And then also Ezekiel was taken away captive uh, at the same time that King Jehoiachin is is taken away. So all three of those things are kind of uh when you see these dates, those kind of those things happen at about the same time. So you, it can refer to as uh, the ninth year of the reign of Zedekiah. It can be the ninth year of the captivity of Ezekiel, the ninth year of the captivity of King Jehoiakim. Okay. But in the ninth year, tenth month, tenth day, the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is in chapter 24, verse 1. Um, verse 2, it says, Son of man, write down the name of the day, this very day, so other than the sign, the signpost that he's supposed to write and set up at the, the, the front of the road, I don't remember God telling him to, to write down. You know, it's always speak to them or say to them or prophesy to them. Here he's saying, write down this day, this very day, which here it says the king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem this very day. And on that day, he was to utter a parable against them. Okay. And in this parable, Jerusalem is depicted as a pot. And the inhabitants are depicted as the, the meat. It says the meat is to be cooked and the cuts are to be burned up. And then afterwards, the pot was to be set empty on the coals so that all the scum, all of the filthiness the lewdness the sinfulness um, would be burned up and God would it says that God would not hold back God would not spare God would not relent they would be judged according to their ways and according to their deeds and then in verses 15 through 27 um, just looking at that we'll read some of the the first verses here. There, starting in verse 15, so we see this, this symbol of the cooking pot which is symbolic of the siege that is coming. Jerusalem is the pot. Um, and, and it says going through there that they the pot would be uh, set on the empty of the coals, that it was a bronze pot, it would actually glow because it would be so hot. Uh, just, just that, I guess, uh, a symbol of just the punishment that would come upon the city there. And then in verse 15, we see a sign that Ezekiel was supposed to, to do, I guess, to show the people. So, verse 16, Son of man, behold, I will take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. You shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. But you are to sign silence and make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips. Do not show any kind of of sorrow or remorse or um, suffering or pain or anything like that. And so he spoke these things to the the people in the morning and that evening his wife dies. And Ezekiel does as he's commanded. He sighs in silence. uh, Doesn't mourn for her death. uh, And... The people, I guess, you know, his wife is the desire of his eyes, you know, looking at a culture there whose, whose eyes are set up on idolatrous things, on adultery, these harlotry acts, you know, things like that. His desire is set upon his wife. And so, after she's taken away, he's not allowed to mourn. Uh, I think we see a little bit of of Ezekiel's uh, personality there and, you know, obeying God's commandments. and then this is symbolic of what will happen. Uh, it says, Ezekiel's actions signify how the people would react when Jerusalem and its inhabitants, which was the desire of the people's eyes, the elders' eyes, or, or those that are there, they had their hearts set on Jerusalem. And the people that had left been left behind, they thought we would go back soon uh, to be there. But once they saw these things, uh, that they were destroyed... Um, you know, they would not mourn or sigh or, or they would not mourn or show mourning or anything. So their reaction would be the same as, as Ezekiel's was uh, from that of his wife. And then there towards the end of the chapter, just really quick, it says one will actually escape um, from the destruction. And then once they do, uh, they would come to the captives, tell them what had happened, and then Ezekiel's mouth would be loosed. He wouldn't be mute any longer. Back in chapter 3, he was mute unless God told him to speak. Here in chapter 33, that will happen, uh, and he will no longer be mute. So, thoughts, questions? Sorry I kept you over. But... I'm sorry? Right, yep. Yep. Okay, good. Good. Alright, we actually got done with five chapters today. That's good. Alright, thanks a lot everyone.